welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. I want to talk about the pursuit of God and how, how passion and perseverance are needed uh, to keep our priorities right in life. Do you remember, um, maybe you've heard the story or at least you've heard the phrase, uh, doing a Bradbury. And uh, it's actually in the dictionary. If you look it up, you'll see a meaning something along the lines of an improbable victory gained by luck or default. Uh, or, in other words, to achieve something without really having to try, to get an easy, unexpected win. And you may know the story of Stephen Bradbury. He was competing, and if you don't, I'll tell you, he was competing uh, at the Salt Lake City uh, Olympic Games in 2002, and he was in the short track speed ice skating event. So they do a 1,000 metres, but it's a really tight circular track, and uh, he got into the final. There's five men in the final. Uh, but with only a few laps to go, he was most decidedly in fifth place, like he had dropped back. And in fact, um, he really said himself, he, he didn't really cha- uh, you know, think he'd have a chance of a medal. And it really didn't look like he would uh, win or even get a medal. Uh, but in the final corner, two of the leaders bumped into each other, tripped and fell. The two behind them then ran into them. All four slipped along the ice, sliding out of the contention, and Stephen Bradbury (laughs) cruised past and crossed the line. And there's a photo of him, a famous photo that you can see. (laughs) And, of course, this captures that historic moment Historic because he's Australia's first ever gold medalist at the Winter Olympics. (laughs) But it also captures the joy, the look of shock, bewilderment and celebration on his face because he's thinking, have I really just won? What is going on? And it's just a fantastic moment, isn't it? And the poor guys, they did actually get up and cross the line, which was necessary for the race to be completed and for him to be awarded the medal, and they did get a couple of the guys scrambled over to get the uh, other medals. So the story uh, and the phrase, all right, thanks, Killen, you can get that down, otherwise we'll be looking and laughing at Stephen all day. Uh, The story and the phrase then, you know, has gone down meaning a really lucky win. But the backstory tells us so much more. Because, of course, he was lucky to win that race, but he wasn't lucky to get into the race. Um... Seneca, the famous Roman philosopher uh, from the time of Jesus, I think he was born about the same year that we think Jesus was born, he once said, luck is simply a matter of preparation meeting opportunity. And, uh, and Stephen Bradbury had been preparing for that moment for a really long time. I listened to a podcast interviewing with him recently, and he's, he's got an amazing story. Um, that was actually... His fourth Olympic Games, over you know every four years, so that's sixteen years, 
He'd already competed in three previous ones. He'd already won a world championship in a team event. And on top of the normal, gruelling training schedule that any elite athlete uh, has to undergo over all those years, he had also overcome some incredible setbacks, including an injury that had nearly killed him. Um, apparently crashing in that event is quite common because of the angles that they achieve to get the tight cornering going. And in fact, the final, the fact that he didn't expect to win a medal was because he didn't even expect to be in the final because there'd been another crash in the semi-final that had got him to the final where some guys had fallen out of contention in front of him. And so um, in years earlier, he had had a, a crash where uh, his leg was impaled by another skater skate and he nearly died on the ice he was bleeding out uh, lost four fifths of his blood and was within millimeters of his artery being completely severed and would definitely have bled out but they saved his life uh, and then he spent the next 18 months in rehab uh, because the tendons and the muscles in his leg were all uh, severed and ruptured and uh, he had to learn to walk, let alone skate again. Um, and so he got back into training. People thought, that's it, you'll never skate again. But he did, only to have another crash and go head first into a wall and break his neck. And so then he had to dig deep again, persevere through the pain, get back into training and put himself back into a position where he could win at the top level. And he said in this interview that to succeed in any sport at that level, or in fact, in his view, at any venture in life, he said, you need to be incredibly focused, you need to be very passionate and completely sold out to just that one thing. And that made me think, well, what's my one thing? And my question to you this morning is, of course, so what's your one thing? And are you willing to persevere and put up with the kind of pain he did in order to attain it. And I'd also put it to you then that as Christians, we should all have the same one thing, the same priority, the same passion, regardless of our career calling, regardless of any particular sport that you're passionate about or any field of endeavour that you're involved in, beyond all these and anything else that we may pursue, our number one pursuit should be God himself to just be passionate about the Lord, to be followers of Jesus with all our heart, to love him with everything we have, to decide to follow him, to you know, de desire to know him, to be determined to serve him. And to do that requires the ability to persevere, to put up with pain, and really, the starting point is a denial of ourselves, which, you know, we, we, we end up with a good result, but it might not feel so comfortable at the beginning because our ego and our selfish, natural ways have to be put in place. We need to talk to them, basically, and say, you guys are no longer in charge. I'm putting you on the back burner. In fact, I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to kill you. We're going to go and take up a cross. We're going to die. And uh, follow me. We're heading to Calvary. We're following Jesus. Uh, we're on the way to glory, but we're going via Calvary. And, uh, and that's really the beginning of the true Christian life, where we say, I am no longer in charge. 
but Jesus is. He's the Lord of my life. He's going to lead me. I'm going to submit to him and follow him. I'm sold out to him. I'm 100% devoted to him. And I just want to bring a, a, a charge or a challenge, if you like, for us all today to uh, embrace and, and perhaps re-embrace that truth and that important uh, priority for us. Because it's not just my contention. Uh, it's the calling that God gives us himself. When you read the scriptures, it's right through the Bible. The people in the Old Testament sold out for God, crying out like the psalmist does, realising, oh God, you're the, you're the only thing I really need, the one thing that I should pursue. Stories of people who succeeded in life because they made that kind of heart decision and those who suffered badly because they didn't and should have and knew better. And then you come into the New Testament. You've got Paul the Apostle saying, look, I've just decided to be crucified with Christ. The life I live, I'm not living on my own anymore. It's all about him. I've, I've experienced enough life to figure this is the only way. And then, of course, you've got the words of Jesus. And let's just look at one passage this morning, a key one, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and to us, therefore, and he says this in Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25, reading from the NLT, he said, uh, if anyone or if any of you Wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. So that taking up of the cross, it's, it's not just a poetic phrase. I believe it's a real spiritual reality to die to ourselves. Like I said, following him to Calvary. And, uh, and then look what he says. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake... You will save it. And there's the great Christian paradox. That's the, 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 the beginning of a great adventure. Uh, I love what the message version says. This is, of course, a paraphrase, not a direct or completely accurate translation of the words that Jesus spoke in Greek, but it catches the spirit of what he wants us to understand. Um, it says in the message, mm, have you got that up there? I'll read it. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. There we go. That's the one. Jesus went to work on his disciples. Isn't that a cool phrase? Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. Okay, just stop right there. Men, this is getting uncomfortable. Now, my wife's a good driver, okay? She's not here, and I'll tell you what, she's a good driver. But still, don't you like to be in the driver's seat? Don't you prefer to drive? I, nothing, I'm, not, I'm not being sexist. I, I, it doesn't matter who's in the... I prefer to drive. Occasionally, if someone else is driving, okay, good, I'll relax. At least I'll try to. But you tend not to. You tend to, you know, want to control the deal. You want to... And so this is tough for... I don't know, maybe it's women too, but certainly I know myself and blokey blokes, it's like, I want to be in the driver's seat. He said, No. <laughs> if you want to follow me, you are not in the driver's seat. That's a challenge. He said, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Oh, it's getting worse. Follow me and I'll show you how. But then look at this. Self-help is no self at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. Isn't that great? Again, that's not directly the... Translation from the Greek, but it's a great uh, uh, way of capturing what Jesus wants us to know. 
that the result of self-sacrifice, well, that's where we find ourselves. That's how we end up living meaningful, rewarding, wonderful lives. But it starts with losing our life. And, uh, and Tozer had a great uh, reflection on this truth. Uh, there's a quote here from the great Bible teacher, A.W. Tozer. Listen, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar. But we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. Come on, you've got to get into Tozer. Uh, he, he, he told it the way it is. He's very, very straightforward. Do you want to live like that? With your little tinsel crown, but dooming yourself to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility? I don't think so. There's a higher way, yeah? A better way, a more wonderful way where life becomes rich and meaningful and exciting and bright and it's found when we die, when we get serious about following Jesus. It's a decision of the heart, something that we, we need to lean into personally, continually, passionately and we, we, we draw close to him, we pray as individuals but but watch this, we also come together and make this decision corporately. There's a family, community-wide decision. This is where groups of people called the church, you know, shake things up and encourage each other and spur one another on. And that's why the Bible says, don't give up meeting together. Stay, you know, uh, together. Don't be like a... You know, what do people say? Like a coal isolated out of the fire, it quickly goes out. But keep the fire going by being together. Get the embers stirred together. And so, uh, you know, for myself, w when I leave a church gathering, I, I want to be thinking more about Jesus than myself. I, I, I want to be touched and moved and challenged by the stories that I hear and the word that is preached and the songs that I sing so that I'm more passionate about Jesus than just what's for lunch or what's going on later in the day. I want to I lay my life down just like he did. And I, 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 I gather you want the same. I want, I want my main focus in life not just to be the, the trivial pursuits of whatever the world's got to offer, but the pursuit of God himself. And, uh, and that's our calling. And, you know, when you go on in life, it becomes clearer that this is the very best way to live. Because, uh, you know, at my point in life, I've been around for a little while and uh, I've enjoyed lots of stuff. Uh, I figure I'm probably at least at halfway, probably into the second half, the age of 55. Look around. What are you laughing? Some of you, all right, the late young ones are laughing. Yeah, you have reason to laugh. But give it a few years, you'll be there. You know, and you'll be thinking, oh, oh, okay, so we've had a few, you know, runs around the block and, and here we are, flip, it's, you know, we're well into, we're past halfway, we're, in fact, at some point, 
the ref's going to be looking at his watch. And, you know, the, you know, if you're a sporting fan, you'll know what I mean. You know, you're in the half time, half, second half of the match, you've scored a few goals, but there's still goals to be scored. Come on. And then, you know, I think they put the time up now, even for the soccer, but they used to not. Or even when they put the extra time. They'll say, you know, people, and the, so the, you know, they're coming to the end of the game and then it's extra time. And I'm not suggesting anyone here is in extra time, okay? <laughs> but at some point, we're all going to be there when it's extra time. And the ref, and you see, and the ref starts looking at his watch and it's like, and you know, you better get ready for glory. And you see the ref start looking at the, you never know when that is, of course. But, uh, but I'm just saying, we have our time here on, life, on, on earth and, you know, if like me, you've been around for a while, you'll have seen a lot of what the world's got to offer, you know, and it's great. I mean, I've, you know, swum in tropical waters and stood under the northern lights in Alaska, not on the same day, but, you know, I've tasted the finest food, I've travelled to many different countries, I've had great friends, great experiences, a great, you know, it's awesome, it's great. But as you go along, after a while you realise, yeah, it's pretty secondary to God himself. You know, I mean, dolphins are cool. Tim was swimming with the dolphins, you know, up in, you know, in a man-made environment that people protested about yesterday. Tim wasn't one of the protesters, by the way. Uh, Luke and Jono swam with the dolphins out in the natural world, you know. But I reckon being in the presence of God... Nothing against dolphins, but, you know, he tops that. You know, come on. The presence of the Lord himself. And we get to, obviously, we'll experience that fully. And it's beyond what we can comprehend. I just reading in my morning Bible reading this morning, Paul's saying, I've seen stuff I can't even talk about in Second Corinthians, you know. It's like, it's just mind-blowing. And you get a guy like Ian McCormick, and he does start talking about it for hours if you'll remember, you know, longest service we've ever had. But people are, you know, they're like, I don't care. Wow. And he's talking about heaven and, you know. So it's going to be amazing, but we get a taste of it here on earth as well. And we only get there if we've been tasting enough that we stay on track and stay passionately connected and keep following him all the way through. And, uh, and so that's the greatest adventure. That's the greatest thing that we can get into, knowing the Lord, staying on course. And if you're going to do that, as I said earlier, you're going to have to be tenacious. You're going to have to put up with some stuff and to be strong, to persevere, because there's always opposition against anything that is worthwhile in life, especially if it's following the Lord, because there is a devil, he is your enemy, and he will do everything to dissuade you from being in the presence of God from experiencing God, even if it's just five minutes in the morning reading the Bible, you'll sit down and within 30 seconds there'll be something that you think you've got to do and that's more important and the next thing you're out the door and you didn't really make and take the time that you could and should have had. Uh, and so, you know, he, the devil is, is really not wanting you to do that. But, of course, you can fight back. You can be strong. Let the fiery darts come. You've got a shield of faith. You, you, this is what we're talking about, just getting resilient and courageous and persistent and tough enough to be able to keep finding God, keep seeking God and pressing into God. Because that guy, Stephen Bradbury, you know, he was a better man for all the training that he had gone through, all the persistence, all the overcoming pain that he had had to work through with rehab, 
He was better with or without a gold medal just through the process of overcoming the challenges. So, I mean, it was a nice surprise when he won the gold medal. More than a nice surprise because it made him famous and now he travels around. Hudson had him, you know, when he was ad for uh, as a guest speaker because he's, he's on the, you know, the, the speaking circuit as a motivational speaker and stuff. Uh, and good luck to him. But his character had already grown regardless of whether he would have won the gold medal or not. And, uh, you know, none of us here may ever win an Olympic medal. In fact, as I look around, I can say that I don't think... No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah. Uh, hey, you could, do, you could win an Olympic medal. You don't have to be, you know, fit like Byron. You can get into curling, you know? Or, yeah, what about synchronised swimming? Frosty, come on, it's not too late. Al, Martin, Frosty, come on. Teams of three, isn't it? Get in that pool, Vasava, you never know. Um, uh, but... You know, we, uh, regardless of the results, regardless of whether you, you know, become famous or whatever, uh, we're all going to have situations that try us and test us and therefore can help us, to help us grow with patience, perseverance, persistence and character qualities like that because you can't guarantee the results of what you're going through, but in God, it's going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay. It's going to work out for good. Um, and sometimes there, there are no real rewards or for, for your efforts and it you know, can really feel a little disappointing. Um, I uh, was reminded, uh, Josh was up here earlier, it's a funny time when his uh, patience was tested a few years ago. We had Josh living here um, in one of the caretaker's cottages out the back and... Um, and we started at the same time getting rubbish dumped at the front of the property. Every week there was the bin night. You'd put the bins out. And the next morning, either one of the office staff or Josh or someone around would find these bags of rubbish ripped open and rubbish strewn around at the front of the, the, the church property. And, uh, and we thought, you know, what is going on? Is this just... Random kids just being smart, but it was pretty consistent. So when we thought, is this someone with a beef about the church trying to make some statement? You know, my life is rubbish because the church did this. Or, you know. And we thought, what, you know, what is going on? And so Josh kindly offered uh, to stay up one night. And he set himself up in the cafe, lights off, got his faithful dog, little Neroy, uh, sitting with him, and he said, all right, I'll watch, and we'll find out who this is and what's going on, because it's, it's annoying. It's you know, a violation, and we're all cleaning up the rubbish every single week. So uh, Josh sits up there with little Neroy by his side all night until the sun came up, and uh, for some reason, that was the first week in weeks that no one showed up to rip the rubbish bags open. <laughs> And we thought, well, that's a weird coincidence, but we must have just picked the week that they decided to stop. They just, they've run out of steam. They thought, all right. So the next week, go back to normal. Thanks, Josh. That was great. So he goes and sleeps. Sure enough, it happens again. That week, the bags are ripped open again. So then we thought, all right, we've got to bring in the big guns. We're going to a new level. Bring in Dale. So, so Dale sets up camera surveillance. 
because he'd already had cameras on the inside for security. So he put a camera outside looking at the, the front of the property. And then they, someone, not me, praise the Lord, Dale, Josh, Simon, I don't know who it was, they had to sit through the footage, you know, and look. And then they, and do you know what it, they found out? They found out who it was. And do you know who it was? <laughs> it was Josh's dog. <laughs> So little Neroy was getting out. Josh got to sleep. Neroy was escaping. He was running out the front of the property. He was going down the road and finding bins that might not be completely closed, jumping up, ripping the rubbish bags out, and then faithfully bringing them back and putting them like cats bring dead mice home, you know, to the owner, bringing the bag, look, boss, look what I've got, you know, and then ripping it open, seeing if there's any meat or whatever, and then trotting back, going back to sleep, and there's Josh waking up. Oh, morning, Neroy. Yeah. Neroy's like, I had a great... And what I just love, what I love about this is the fact that there's Josh at night with Neroy thinking, if I could talk, I'd say, boss, you're wasting your time. The culprit's right here. The joke's on you. Because Josh's like, oh, Neroy, thank you for your support. We're going to catch this guy. And he was like, you're not... You're not going to catch him. I'm right here. Oh, anyway. I, I... <laughs> Come on. It's a great story, isn't it? Oh, it's one of those. Oh, hmm. Okay. I could really lose it right now. Oh, oh okay. Uh, if Linda lost it, I would be gone. Linda, some... you know, Linda can lose it. And... Um... Oh, okay. Come on, back to the Bible. <sighs> so there was a meaning to that story somewhere there. Well, the fact that Josh really never found out anything except his, hopefully his patience was, uh, you know, built <laughs> through that experience. But I tell you, I'm sure you've had situations like that where it might have a funny result or it might have no result or it might have a terrible result and you've been through something and you didn't get what you were looking for but like I said, in God, if you've had to persevere through something that's difficult, maybe you've been, and not maybe, I'm sure all of us have been through times that have got some emotional testing in it, some pain. You've had to forgive that person. It keeps, you keep bumping into them or that situation keeps reappearing or you keep going, bumping into that same deal. It's in God, it's always going to be good because Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for the good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. We don't always understand it in the short term. We may not even understand it in the long term. I'm sure when we get to heaven, things will make sense, if, nothing, if not before. <laughs> so hang in there. But more than anything, through the, the, the pain and the persistence, hopefully if you're smart, you'll be prayerful. And so you'll be getting close to the Lord. You'll be finding yourself in his presence. And so that is the number one achievement that you can, you, you can aim for. So it doesn't matter about the results that we want to see as much as the result of us drawing closer to him. And I think that's just a, an ongoing, wonderful, eternal quest that we can and should stir in our hearts. And, uh, and as I said, you can always be assured it's good when we keep seeking God. Here's another quote from Tozer. He said this, To have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. So when you love something and someone, you go after it and then you get it. 
and you've got them and you've connected. Yeah. But to have found God and still to pursue him. So there's this kind of crazy paradox. We've, we've found God. We seek God. Pray a prayer. You can get born again just like that. Just, a, just lean in with faith. Just trust in God. Yeah. But we've just begun a lifelong pursuit of God, even though we found him. We haven't lost him. We just find more of him and more of him in our lives. Yeah? And as John the Baptist said, less of me, more of him. We can keep growing in him and closer to him, abiding in him and him abiding in us. And so, uh, and of course, when we do this, our motives are going to be tested and purified. You know, why am I seeking God? Am I praying just because I want something from God? That's not the highest calling that I have on my life. Am I just praying and getting close to God so I can be happy? Is, it, is that it? Am I, am I just wanting, do we want him to just bless us or are we crying that he would use us for his glory? Charles Finney's ministry was marked by his uh, strength of preaching that would bring conviction to people. He was really, he pulled no punches, very direct. And, uh, and of course, in the 1800s, when he was preaching in America, almost everyone went to church. It was just a culturally strong thing for people to be in church. But not everyone was truly committed to Christ. And so Finney would come into town and he'd start holding meetings and people would be shaken up and, there, and, and the, there'd be a revival. started in small towns and it just got bigger and bigger and became you know, one of the most famous preachers of all time, certainly of his time. And um, at one place, he writes in his biography, Brownsville, great name for a town. He said, uh, I was the guest of an elder of the church, Mr. B., don't you love the way in those old books they never actually mentioned someone's full name? Confidentiality. I don't think he's going to care. He's been dead for 200 years. But, you know, at the time, you know, let's be careful. So Mr. B, he says, One day as I came down from my room and was going out to call on some inquirers, that was his uh, way of challenging people. He would preach the gospel and then ask people who were serious about pretty much what we're doing these days with our Connect card. You want to give your life to Christ and you've identified saying, yeah, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Tick the card, put it in the box up the back. Don't make you do anything necessarily publicly in this meeting, but then we'll talk to you and you want to you know, follow up. You can. So he would have inquirers say, yeah, I want to know more. I want to give my life to God or whatever. And he said, I went out and I met Mr. B in the hall. He said to me, Mr. Finney, what would you think of a man who was praying week after week for the Holy Spirit and could get no answer? I replied, I would think he was praying from false motives. But from what motives should a man pray, said he, if he wants to be happy? Is that a false motive? I replied, Satan might pray with as good a motive as that. Oh, uh, and then I quoted the psalmist, uphold me with your spirit, then I will teach sinners their way and they will be converted to thee. That's a quote from one of David's psalms. See, I said, the psalmist did not pray for the Holy Spirit that he might be happy, but that he might be useful. I said this, turned and went out immediately. And he turned abruptly and went back to his room. I remained out until dinner time, and the whole biography is like this. You've got to read it. Read it. You give yourself a Christmas present or your spouse or your friend. Charles Finney's autobiography, it'll stir you. It's great. I mean, it's almost hilarious how direct he was, but it's also a very stirring read. I remained out until dinner time. When I returned, he met me and immediately began to confess. Mr. Finney, said he, 
I owe you a confession. I was angry when you said that to me, and I must confess that I hoped I would never see you again. What you said forced the conviction upon me that I never had been converted, that I had had that I had never had any higher motive than a mere selfish desire for my own happiness. I went away after you left the house and I prayed to God to take my life. I could not endure to have it known that I had always been deceived. Though I have been a member of the church, I saw that I had always been a deceived hypocrite. The mortification was intolerable and I wanted to die. And Finney says, he was all broken down right there and then. But from that time on, became a new man. And so there's a guy who was in church, who was an elder in the church, who looked like a Christian, but admitted it was just about his personal happiness. And the motivation was shaken and convicted and then got on track with the Lord. So that's exciting. And, uh, and of course, God's will is for us to be happy. But, you know, it's, it's best found as a byproduct of a life that is selfless and sacrificial in our devotion to God. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Or you'll get everything you need. But don't make that your first priority to chase around everything you want. So as Christmas approaches, come on, let's... Remember what it's all about and celebrate Jesus first and foremost. And, and let's be sold out and bold in our witness to encourage others to come and consider who Jesus really is for themselves. Yeah, Let's keep our hearts stirred to love him, to, to ah, just keep that fire burning. Amen. Can I just finish? I want to show you one last scripture and then we'll come and pray. I'll ask the band to come. Psalm 63. This is... David, and he captures what I'm talking about this morning. He says uh, in the first few verses of Psalm 63, Oh God, I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I'll praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. So I will praise you with songs of joy. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.